Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Kate Faulkner. Hello, hope you're okay. Thank you for downloading today's podcast on Tuesday, February 13th. Our top story today, a Kent man who was taken hostage by Iraqi forces while on holiday more than 30 years ago says he's still waiting for answers. He's been telling Oliver from KMTV about his experience. I was looking out the window of the plane shortly after we'd been refuelled, just as dawn was coming up across the desert, looking out the window, amazing dawn across the desert. And uh, there was a, a, a fighter bomber and it was dropping bombs, um, a, cl- a stick of four bombs, just a few hundred metres away. And then the aircraft rocked with the shock waves. Um, I had a oh moment and um, grabbed my partner, got off the plane as quickly as possible. The flight had just been refuelled and I was very conscious that there was this risk that we just be basically just... Uh, end up in a huge fireball with, with the, the fuel that had been loaded. What were like, your emotions during this period of being shipped around to all these high-value places? Like, what were your feelings, what were the feelings of your partner as you were um, being basically held hostage as a human shield for the regime? You get used to it. I mean, it's very strange. You don't, you don't go from being a passenger to being a hostage. It's kind of like a, peer, a, a process of osmosis. And eventually, as the noose just tightens and tightens, your restrictions are, the restrictions are layered on and layered on. Um, at some point, you think, you know, you realise that this is, I am basically here just to be shot um, if America invades or be collateral damage if they try to take out this particular facility. So you don't feel anything. It's not like anything. It just becomes normal. You, I accepted the fact that I was there to be, that my life was probably over. And that, that was the weird thing, looking back. You accept the fact that I'm, this, this is it. The only thing that was left to, um, to discover was the, the timing and the exact manner of how I was going to be dispatched. So what was it like readjusting to normal life after being trapped under lock and key under threat of death for so long? Well, that was the tricky thing. You think you're going to come back and everything's going to be great. Um, and this was before PTSD was the thing. I, I was told at the airport to go and see my GP. And he said, well, if I were you, I'd take a week off. You'll be okay. Take a week off. Um, it took me two years to mentally rearrange the cards, mentally, to be able to function as a, what I suppose is normal, <laughs> um, but you know, obviously, the, the, the all, the, all of our experiences become part of your character, your psyche of where you are today. So it's difficult to say to what degree it affects you. And I don't want to sort of live with that sort of status of victim status or whatever because it's not very productive. You have to you have to move forward and look and look ahead and just get on with it. But it did take two years. I was debilitated for two years before I could get back in the saddle and start putting my life back together and start thinking about career and, and, and mortgages and all the rest of it. I went from being a very confident, invincible 24-year-old to sofa surfing on friend's sofas, um, in, looking for a job in a, in a local factory, stripping pallets. Um, so it was, it was a tough and It was tough to get, to get back in the saddle and, and, and rebuild was, was a challenge. And there was a girl on the flight who, was, who turned 13 years old, uh, actually in, in Kuwait. 
she's never got over the experience. Um, it's defined her entire life and, it, and it's ruined her entire life. He's among a group taking legal action against the government after they admitted knowing about the invasion before the flight landed. Kent Online News. Police are stepping up patrols in Ramsgate after a man was attacked with a noxious substance. He's being treated in hospital after suffering burns to the back of his head in a graveyard on Manston Road on Sunday night. An investigation's continuing. So far, no one's been arrested. A sitting-born teenager has gone on trial accused of stabbing his mother's boyfriend to death. Rohan Daniels was charged with murder after the machete attack on David Perry in December of 2022. The 19-year-old who lives in College Road handed himself into police but says he was acting in self-defence, the trial is ongoing. A driver's miraculously walked away uninjured after crashing into a block of flats in East Morling. You can see footage of the moment it happened in Carnation Crescent at Kent Online. Jenny Scott lives nearby. I was on the telephone and I heard this big bang. When I got up and had to look, there's this red car that come across the road and landed in the alleyway opposite where I live. And it's all smashed up and a young boy got out. Did you see if anyone was injured? No, there wasn't. No, there wasn't no ambulance or nothing, just the police. And what sort of time of day was that? It was half past eight, because I was on the phone doctors. And so there's lots of kids and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So it could have been a lot worse? Yeah. The driver managed to avoid several parked cars and is said to have climbed from the wreckage. Head to Kent Online to see a picture of a man police are hunting after post boxes in Dartford were covered in paint. It mostly happened in the Temple Hill area of town. The suspect's face is covered by a mask, but he's wearing a blue hooded jacket, black trousers and carrying a bag. Kent Online News. Seven Oaks has been named the worst station for commuters heading to London. It's based on analysis of the performance, frequency, speed and value for money of peak time services to and from the capital. Fewer than a third of trains from the West Kent station ran on time last year. Roads Minister Hugh Merriman has been speaking to Sophia Aiken from our colleagues at KMTV. I was meeting with the um, Chief Executive of South Eastern and the Regional Director for Network Rail and they integrate the service together. They work together as a team. And I think the more we can get train operators to work side by side with Network Rail, then we'll ensure that they're both working to the same targets. When the railway line has to be closed for engineering works, then it's done when it's best for the passenger. And what I see across South Eastern and Network Rail is a good example of what I'd like to see across the entire country. Track and train integrated together under, under the same leadership. And that way we'll actually get things more reliable. The other thing I'd add is we've had uh, the reforms we've brought in uh, on network rail that have been agreed by the unions on that one particular part of industrial action now lead to more efficiencies, so better maintenance, and we're also using technology on the line to work out where we can see landslips, where we can see uh, technical problems. We, we can spot them with technology earlier rather than when things go wrong. So we are investing in technology, uh, but of course there is always more to do, and as Rail Minister, I'm passionate that we do that. We've also seen a few of Kent's train stations been ranked some of the worst commuter stations in not only in the county but the country too. So as it is such a big commuter county, how are we going to see those improvements for Kent commuters in, I guess, the next few months, the next few years as well? Well, so if you look, for example, as pay as you go, which has been a London concept where people can tap in, tap out um, using their smartphone device or technology, uh, that's the type of thing that makes an easier journey. And what we're looking to do is bring that further out across the southeast. So if you look at Kent, um, that's already being rolled out to Sevenoaks Station, for example. What that, of course, means is you then end up with a simplified fare structure. So that means that some people will end up paying a little more than they have done, uh, but more people will end up paying less. 
Now that's what happens when you simplify fares, of course. When you've got so many fares and you bring just one flat fare in, then it ends up that there are some losers as well as the, the more people that end up tend to winning by it. And of course that feeds into ranking. So I do understand where we make changes, where we make fares simpler. Uh, and we try and sort of structure the railway differently, then of course there can be outliers that, that don't uh, see it in such a favourable way. But that is all about modernising and making it easier for passengers to understand the railway, to be able to purchase tickets and then to be able to use it. Chatham, Gravesend and Tunbridge also didn't do well in the study. South Eastern has been contacted for a comment. New data shows unemployment is continuing to rise in Kent. 38,920 people were claiming out-of-work benefits in December. That's 445 more than the previous month. National figures also show wage growth has slowed to its lowest level for more than a year. They went up by 6.2% in the final three months months of 2023. The Cabinet at Medway Council will discuss plans to increase how much residents pay towards vital services later. They'll be going through their budget plans, which also propose cutting things like free swimming for under-16s and scrapping some festivals. It'll be discussed and voted on by the full council at the end of the month. Police are set to press ahead with fines issued to drivers caught going too fast on a stretch of the A20 on the Kent-London border. The speed limit on the stretch from Criddles Corner to the Swanley interchange was recently reduced to 40 miles per hour, but a rogue 50 sign caused confusion. It's thought as many as 60,000 drivers have been notified. The Met says the 50 sign would not have impacted the average speed limit. A control zone set up in Kent following an outbreak of blue tongue among livestock is going to be lifted. Five cows tested positive for the virus in Canterbury in November. The control zone covered areas including Thanet and Dover. Authorities say the threat is now low risk. Kent Online News. A life-sized sculpture has been put on a Kent beach as a permanent reminder about pollution being dumped into the sea. It was commissioned by SOS Whitstable, which was set up after Southern Water was given a record fine for sewerage spills in 2021. The piece, called Sirens of Sewerage, features five local people affected by waste in the water. Sally Burt-Jones is from SOS Whitstable. The sculpture um, is life-sized casts and actually made from casting the individuals um, represented on the beach. So life-sized and uh, neutral marine cement casts of um, individuals in the community who have a very close association with the sea. Um, two of the people that were cast were actually members of SOS Whitstable, um, but they represent a swimmer, a cold water swimmer, um, the uh, captain of um, the ship that sits within the Whitstable Harbour that goes out to do trips, the Greta, which has been there for a long time, so Steve Norris, um, who's the captain there, um, he's been cast. Um, we've got a kite surfer, um, and we've got an individual who um, works with the RNLI um, and his daughter, um, who was seven when she was cast. So, yeah, it's quite a formidable structure. Um, it's been getting a lot of attention so far, and it's essentially a permanent reminder um, to individuals that, um, you know, there are things going on within our waterways that we're not happy about. Um, so we're super thrilled to have it on the beach. Why was it so important for you to have this permanent structure put there? Because I'm sure a lot of people have seen your protests before, but you, you can't stand on the beach all day, every day. So why was it vital that you had this put in place? It is a, a kind of a constant reminder to people that this problem is not solved yet. So we formed SOS Whitstable in uh, the summer of 2021, just after Southern Water, who um, deliver our sewerage services in this area, uh, received a £90 million fine for, um, for breaking the law um, and for deliberately putting um, untreated sewage out to sea. Um, as you said, we can't stand on the beach 24 hours, um, 365 days a year. And 
we don't feel like action is happening quickly enough. So when we had this opportunity to work with Jason, um, obviously we were absolutely thrilled to have an opportunity to do this. Um, the sculpture was actually um, made and originally planned to sit submerged. So um, Jason specialises in underwater sculptures, which he's delivered all over the world, all with kind of environmental and or community focus. Um, unfortunately, we've been able, unable so far um, to find a spot for the sculpture in the water. So at the very kind of kind permission of Shepherd Neem um, and the Neptune pub, they've ended up on the beach um, and will be there for at least six months. But in the meantime, we're still hoping to find their correct home, um, which will be ultimately um, underwater. What do you think a southern water boss would think of it if they saw it? <laughs> well, I suspect they've already seen it by now. Um, it's kind of been all over social media for over 24 hours and uh, we know they keep a close eye on what we're doing. So um, I I would be very interested to find out what Lawrence thinks about it. Um, you know, it's not ideal, obviously, for them, that there's now a kind of permanent reminder of our fight um, on the beach, but hopefully it will galvanise them to keep working with our community um, and get things moving in a much more speedy fashion than we've seen so far. Yesterday it was announced company bosses who allow sewerage spills could be blocked from getting bonuses. Plans have been revealed for a multi-million pound extension of Sheppey College. The site on Bridge Road is being expanded to take on more students and offer extra courses. A consultation's underway. You can see pictures of what the college could look like at Kent Online. Now, a Swanley woman says it's vital more men realise they can also get breast cancer. Jess Walton's husband, Matthew, was diagnosed in 2017 and died four years Years later, aged just 32, she's doing the 100-kilometre copper field trek in Matthew's memory to raise awareness. He got diagnosed back in 2017, so in May 2017, so quite a while ago now. But he basically found a tiny lump, like you wouldn't have thought it was anything, like it was tiny. Um, went to the GP and they were quite, they were quite helpful but quite dismissive at the same time, like saying it. Oh, I'm sure it won't be anything. Like he was only like 27 at the time I think they said won't be anything but we'll get it checked out anyway because we don't really know enough to be sure so they sent him to hospital quite quickly I think within like a week or two and then on the first appointment there the doctor kind of felt the lump and said no it definitely won't be anything like don't worry about it we'll do all the tests anyway like they were quite far off but we're still quite like don't worry about it and then a couple of weeks later, we got a phone call, like, come in the next day or whatever it was, like, pretty quick, like, come back. So we went back and when we walked in, there was, like, I think there was a nurse and a doctor in the room. So we're just, like, as soon as you see someone extra, I think you're a bit like, oh, God, like, that's not good. And they were like, oh, there's just a Macmillan nurse here. Like, don't worry about it. And then obviously, you know that that means cancer I think to me so I knew it was going to be something probably bad and they said yeah that it was breast cancer um yeah. so yeah from there it was just loads and loads of tests and stuff like that yeah and um when I spoke to you before you touched on some of the differences between obviously breast cancer that's found in women which is a lot more common in male breast cancer you know you, you mentioned about the recovery from the mastectomy and also sort of the reaction you had when you were in like the the cancer wards with the um you know people you said it, it looked like sometimes people thought it was you yeah I think it's just being in the kind of breast cancer unit obviously all the nurses and stuff are so nice but they just never expect it to be a man like I think they'd they always just expect it to be the woman and then definitely patients would just kind of be looking at me because you just don't expect it to be a young man and then when he's called in it's always 
it feels a bit like oh like this is just different to everyone else because it is so so rare like it isn't it doesn't really happen very often at all obviously you're doing this this charity um this 100k trek and um, a kilometer trek um so you know what is the purpose of you doing that I think it's like two purposes really it's kind of for me to like do something for me like being a young widow it's hard to kind of I don't know get motivation to do things obviously grief is just such a big thing but I think to do this for a charity it's just a kind of a big thing to like get go like get something good for me and like get like a purpose of life kind of again like and get fit and stuff but it's also for the charity like for him for young anyone with young like that's young with breast cancer like to get the message out there that young people get it men get it and it just needs more like resources and more information more like out there really. Around 370 men in the UK are told they have the disease each year compared to more than 55,000 women. Kent Online News. A TV historian has joined a fight against plans for a solar farm which it's feared could damage a Roman fort in Kent. Developers want to install plans at Richborough near Sandwich about 160 metres from the historic site. Mary Beard has shared the planning documents on socials. The people behind the plans say it'll contribute to national net zero targets. Two blue plaques are going to be unveiled at Canterbury West Railway Station later. One marks the Canterbury to Whitstable Railway which opened in 1846. The other commemorates the issue of the world's first season ticket in 1830. There are among 14 plaques being placed around the city in the coming months. A former pub landlord is opening a new wine and tapas bar near Ashford. Nicholas McLennan has given up pulling pints at the King's Head in Wye and decided to transform the nearby Wife of Bath restaurant. You can see pictures of the new bar in our story on the website. And a 91-year-old veteran soldier from Kent will be looking for love on first dates tonight. Ronald Brown says going on the Channel 4 show was on his to do list the pensioner from Twiddle will be dressed as his music idol Frank Sinatra. Kent Online Sports. We've got a lot of football news to bring you today. We'll start with Gillingham and they'll be hoping to build on Friday night's win as they welcome Swindon to Priestfield later. They beat Notts County 3-1 to briefly move into the playoff places before the weekend's results push them back down to ninth. Head coach Stephen Clement spoke to our reporter Luke Cordell after Friday night's game. You've been enjoying being on the travels quite a bit, haven't you? And I guess now it's to get that home form sorted. Yeah, well, um, I'm not going to talk about that too much tonight. I'm really happy with the away win, but no, I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying. It's, of course, Tuesday night Tuesday night is a, a, a big game for us. I think I said a, a moment ago, when you win away from home, if you come and back it up with a home win, um, it really starts it. You start seeing progress in your table. If you do that on four or five, six occasions in the season, um, you'll be at the right end of the table. So um, there's no point all being happy about this one tonight. Tonight. Um, if we go and draw or get beat against Swindon. So um, now we have to prepare properly now. Over the next few days, the boys need to recover, right? We need to make sure that we're prepared tactically and then we need to go and beat them. How good was the uh, half-time team talk as well? Must have been nice going into one ahead. Um, it, it, I was really, obviously, it's always a dangerous one when, you, when you've when you played really, really well and the lads have, um, yeah, obviously you have, you have to praise them and tell them where they have done well. Um, Sometimes that's, that's that's also be a bit scary if you pat them on the back too soon. You yeah. think they could um, not repeat it in the second half, but there was no danger of that. So I could see a hunger in their eyes, and we had to. Um, when you play against a possession-based team, it's very very difficult towards the end of games. You'll see like your, your Manchester Cities and Liverpool's. The teams can stay in games for sort of 60, 70, 80 minutes, and they always get done late on because players get tired. 
concentration lapses um, and and teams can score late on. And um, I was worried about that. I obviously I told them about that. I said, look, um, let's make sure that everyone stays switched on. We've got people to help us on the bench that can come on and do a job. So give it your lot. Um, and uh, they did that. So um, obviously, I think they had one or two moments towards the end, but, but so did we. We at the post. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, we could have had more. How did that not go in? I know, yeah, it would have been nice. I would have, I could have actually sat down and relaxed there, but um, I had to wait a few more minutes. But no, it was uh, would have been nice for Timmy. I think it was Timmy if he, mm. if he could have got the goal. But um, never mind, we'll take three one and we move on to Tuesday, and we look forward to that one. The visitors are fourteenth in League Two. Kickoff is at seven forty-five. We'll find out later if Maidstone's Alessia Russo and Gravesend Laura Coombs are in the latest Lionesses squad. Coach Serena Vigman's naming the players who'll be involved in the international games this month. England take on Austria and Italy in Spain on the twenty-third and twenty-seventh. And we should find out later when tickets will go on sale for Maidstone United's fifth round FA Cup game. They travel to take on Championship side Coventry on Monday, February. 26. It's thought the club will be allocated around 4,000 tickets. That's all from us today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, X, Instagram, TikTok and Threads. You can also get the details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. To sign up, just head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.